This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no rerolls, no fudging the dice, no metacalcy. The role of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. Following the battle with the snake men, the companions grieved the loss of Yora, and resolved that should they survive, they would take the Shield Maiden's body back to the Uberdraka. Beric and Kier explored the southwest tower of Kerudu, whereupon Kier found a locked chest. The rogue successfully picked the lock, and inside found two potions, which later Valen identified as healing drafts. These were given to Talion and Bjorn as the most injured of the company, before the party resolved their next move. Kier listened at the door, which the party surmised would lead to the main hall, and where he heard strange chanting from within. Not wishing to blunder into danger, Beric announced that he had a plan. Kier climbed onto the roof of the hall from the southwest tower, and here, looking through a hole, witnessed a dark ritual being conducted by a group of cultists worshipping an idol in the image of Nator, the Serpent Queen. The rogue was able to signal to Beric the number of enemies that lay within, but then, a huge serpentine warrior brought forward a woman to be sacrificed. At the moment the woman was to be thrown into a pit, Kier took his opportunity and launched a burning lantern down among the acolytes. Chapter 28 Part 1 Day 33 Evening Party status Beric 26 out of 28 hit points Lena 17 out of 20 hit points Kier 10 out of 12 hit points Phelan 13 out of 15 hit points Talion 14 out of 16 hit points Knut 20 out of 20 hit points Bjorn 12 out of 12 hit points Arn 12 out of 12 hit points Spells available. Valen has memorized Push, Shield, and Soothe. Talion has memorized Poetic Prose and Resolve. Lena can pray for one second level miracle. The torchlight glimmered in the young woman's wide, terror filled eyes as the huge serpentine warrior held her by the wrists over the precipice of the pit, her muffled screams echoing about the hall. The creature's amber eyes shone with malevolent glee as its forked tongue flicked out from between its wide mouth to taste the woman's fear. He had served his queen loyally for a century, as his father and grandfather had before him, for the serpentine metabolism brought a long life. He had always been more vicious, more cruel than the others, and when the old Alpha died, he was strong enough to take his place against any would-be rival. And with that dominance, 
he was bestowed the great honour of coiling with his queen, to have his seed spawn the next generation of serpentines, for they were all her children. Now they would honour her with this sacrifice, and Nedra loved nothing more than the extinguishing of a young woman's life, for it calmed the jealous rage that burned within her, at least for a while. The girl was shaking now, almost violently, and the pungent smell of urine filled the air as her ragged underclothes became soaked through. The humans that worshipped his queen looked on, and whilst they irritated him with their air of superiority, they did Nedra's bidding, and so he tolerated them. Nedra, our beloved queen, take this sacrifice as a measure of our devotion. Their leader called. This was his signal. Now the girl would die. All of a sudden, something caught his gaze. A glowing light tumbling through the air, before... Fire erupted at the feet of one of the humans. It screamed as the flames licked up its robes, and the others cried out in alarm. It took a few seconds for the realisation to hit him. He threw the girl to the side. Her death would have to wait. They were under attack. Okay, so off mic I rolled the outcome of Kier throwing the lantern. This was determined by a simple dexterity check, which the rogue passed with a four, meaning the lantern landed where Kier intended, right in the middle of the acolytes. I also ruled that the splash radius of the oil is six feet, and as a result that one d4 acolytes would be hit by the spray. Kier was not so lucky here, as the roll was a one. Before I do anything else, I need to determine something about the enemy. Eight of the Acolytes are first level clerics, giving them d6 hit points. I am going to give them all the same, so let's roll those now. A six. The leader, however, is a fourth level cleric, with 17 hit points. He can also pray for two first level miracles and one second level miracle. Now, whilst ordained followers of the Nine are not permitted to use bladed weapons, this is not the case for the followers of the Dark Gods and these acolytes are armed with sickles, which deal 1d6 points of damage. But given that they were not expecting to fight, none are wearing any armour, so their armour class will be just 10. In addition, all of the acolytes are blind, their eyes having been put out in their devotion to Nedra. This would normally mean a minus 4 penalty to hit. However, the jeweled eyes of the idol radiate a power called Mindsight. This is a custom second level miracle and magic user spell, which you can find at legendofthebones.blogspot.com The miracle grants blind targets the ability to see a mental picture of their surroundings, enabling the same degree of visual awareness as a normal sighted person, and therefore nullifying the attack penalty. The idol radiates this power for 60 feet in all directions, but if the jewels are more than one foot apart, the effect is cancelled. Finally, the huge snake man is a serpentine champion. It is a four hit dice monster, meaning it gets plus four to attack, it carries a two-handed sword dealing 1d10 points of damage, and wears scale mail conferring an ascending armour class of 14, rolling 4d8 for the serpentine's hit points. 20. That's above the half min out. With that established, I need to determine the outcome of Kier throwing the lantern. Now, the basic expert rules state that burning oil does 1d8 points of damage, and that damage is inflicted for two rounds, after which the liquid drips off. Let's see how much damage the burning acolyte takes in the first round. Two points. 
However, I'm also going to rule that in either round there is a 2 in 6 chance that the target's clothes catch fire, which will sustain the damage until some action is taken to douse the flames. Rolling for the first round. A 4. Also, given the panic the man would feel subjected to burning oil, as he flails about, I am going to rule that each round there is a 2 in 6 chance that he bumps into another acolyte, which if that happens, they'll be at the same risk of their clothes being caught alight. Here is the roll. A 3. So far the others stay clear. I am going to rule that the enemy is surprised. After all, the exploding lantern has come out of nowhere, and their ritual has been disrupted. This is going to give Kier the opportunity to follow up by throwing a burning flask of oil into the acolyte's midst. Rolling against Kier's dexterity of 14. A 15. The flask slips out of the rogue's hand at the last second, falling short of where Kier intended. It smashes on the floor and the burning oil erupts, but none of the acolytes are hit. Now to roll the second round of damage for the burning acolyte. A 5. That's enough to kill him. Finally, I need to determine if any of the enemies will run towards the exit, where the party are waiting in ambush. I am going to make an intelligence check for the acolyte leader. If he succeeds, he will realise that this is a lure to ambush. If he fails, he commands the cult to pursue Kier via the southwest tower. The acolyte leader's intelligence is 13, so a roll of equal or less than that will be a success. A 16. Okay, so as the acolytes will be moving beyond the range of the statue's mindsight power, the leader will pray for the same miracle. He will need to roll equal or less than his wisdom of 14. A 9. The miracle will affect 2d6 targets. A 3. That's good news for the party. Just one more thing. Whilst all this has been happening, Valen has attempted to cast shield upon himself. He needs a 16 or less for his casting roll. A 14. That's a success. Chapter 28 Part 2 Day 33 Evening Party status The party status is unchanged, except that Valen has cast Shield. Without waiting to see what had happened, Kier reached into his pack to retrieve a flask of oil. The sound of screams filtered up through the hole in the roof, and the rogue grinned to himself. He pulled the stopper from the flask and stuffed a piece of rag into the neck to form a makeshift wick. The oil quickly soaked into the rag, and using his tinderbox, Kier lit the improvised incendiary before peeking over the edge once again. The ropes of one of the men were burning, and he was screaming and flailing about in a futile attempt to escape, as the flames engulfed him. A moment later, the screams ceased as the man fell to the floor. Kier shifted his position to throw the burning flask, but as he did so, his fingers slipped on some oil that had spilt over the container. It tumbled out of his grasp and fell onto the hall below, smashing impotently on the floor. Kier cursed, for it was a missed opportunity. But it hardly mattered, for at that moment, the leader pointed up at him. There, on the roof, an interloper, the man shouted. Take the southwest tower, he commanded. There was fury in his voice. Our queen shall have more blood this night. With that, the other blind acolytes ran towards the doors. The huge snake man, however, remained where it was. It unbuckled a belt across its chest, and from its back it pulled a scabbarded two-handed sword. The snake man pulled the blade free, tossing the scabbard to one side, and then stood facing the doors leading from the hall. 
Kia cursed again, this time fumbling for his bow. The creature clearly understood the trap, but it seemed unable to communicate this to the humans. Beric emerged in haste from the southwest tower to join the rest of the companions, who looked at him expectantly. At least ten enemies, he said a little breathlessly, and Kier is going to give them a little surprise, the big man added with a look of grim satisfaction. At that moment, muffled cries broke out from beyond the heavy oak doors. Everyone turned towards the sound. Shield wall, Beric commanded, taking his place front and centre. Lena and Knut moved next to him, on the right and left respectively, their shields overlapping with his. Whilst Bjorn and Arn formed the second rank, from where they would be able to attack with spears, along with Valen, who stood behind Lena. They were positioned such that the doorway would be a choke point against the enemy. Meanwhile, Talion already had an arrow knocked on his bowstring, and was standing behind the others upon a large piece of fallen masonry, which provided the bard with a clear view over the heads of his companions. Kadut turned his head to look at Beric. For Yora, he said softly. Beric looked back. Aye, for Yora, he agreed. The sound of the iron latch scraping brought their attention back to the doors, which suddenly swung inward, and they were confronted by the disturbing sight of robed men, all of whose eyes bore the scars of having been put out. The first three seemed unburdened by this. They moved with the confidence of a sighted person, while those that came behind groped blindly. Each of the acolytes carried a sickle, curved as such that they looked like long fangs. There was no time though to look beyond that, for the enemy was upon them and the companion's will was bent on slaughter. Entering combat. Okay, whilst the acolyte leader and the serpentine champion are undoubtedly dangerous foes, on paper the blind acolytes should not be a great threat. At the same time, the dice gods have a habit of doing what I least expect, so I best not be complacent. Given the circumstances, the party would not be surprised, but let's see if the blind acolytes are. A roll of one or two means they will be. A four. By the doors opening inwards, it has given the enemy just enough time to be ready. However, whilst the party maintains their shield wall, I'm going to grant them a plus one to their armor class to reflect the additional protection that this defensive formation provides. Round one. Initiative. The enemy. A three. The party. A five. That makes sense. Kier, who is still on the roof, seeks to target the Serpentine Champion. He will need a 13 or more to hit. A 2. The rogue is still fumbling to get an arrow on the string. Talion, from his position, shoots into the front rank of the Acolytes. A 5 means his arrow flies harmlessly over their heads. Beric attacks the middle Acolyte. Remember, the warrior now gets a plus 4 to hit, meaning he needs just a 6 or more against the unarmoured man. A six. Well, good job he had that bonus. That's a hit for... Eight points of damage. The warrior thrusts his blade over the top of his shield, taking the acolyte in the neck. Blood gushes from the wound, and the man makes a gurgling sound before slumping to the floor. Lena tries to strike the acolyte in front of her. She needs a nine or more. But with an eight, the cleric now misses. With his bonus, Knut needs to roll an eight or more. Not 20! I don't actually need to roll damage here, but what the heck. Knut's total damage will be... 12 points! The Skarnay warrior hacks down. His blade cuts deep into the acolyte's left shoulder, completely severing the arm. 
There's a fountain of blood. The man stares incomprehensibly for a moment. His legs buckle and he drops to the floor, where he quickly dies of blood loss and shock. Valen jabs with his staff between Lena and Beric. He needs a ten or more. But a three means he comes up short. Likewise, Bjorn and Arn thrust their spears. The pair need tens or more to hit. Arn misses, but Bjorn hits the acolyte fighting Lena for... One point of damage as his spear slices the man's bicep. <coughs> the acolyte facing Lena swings his sickle. He is under the effect of the Mind Sight Miracle, but with the armor class bonus conferred by the Shield Wall and the Cleric's Holy Symbol, the acolyte needs to roll equal or greater than 17. A 19 for... Three points of damage. The man's sickle slashes the Cleric's forearm. <coughs> two more acolytes fill the space of their fallen comrades. These two are out of range of the Idol's Mind Sight power and were not affected by their leader's miracle. As such, they will fight with a minus four penalty. They will attack Beric and Knut respectively, but with bonus and penalties taken into account, they will only hit by rolling a nat 20. But rolls of six and 11 mean their sickles scrape harmlessly against the men's shields. The other acolytes pull back in range of the idol's mind sight power. Meanwhile, the acolyte leader prays for the miracle of darkness to afflict Beric. He will need to roll equal or less than his wisdom of 15 for the Dark Gods to answer his call. A 16. Seeing the party already cut down two of his cult, the Dark Cleric fumbles his words. The Snake Man takes no action this round, instead assessing the strength of his enemy and waiting for the party to break formation. Round 2. Initiative. The enemy. A 5. The party. A 3. The Acolyte's leader tries again to call on the Dark Gods to blind Beric with darkness. He needs to roll a 15 or less. An 11! But Beric will get a save versus spell to resist the effect. He will need to roll a 16 or more. A 12! Beric's eyes go milky and his vision fades to black. It momentarily panics him, but the big man realises he has no choice but to fight on. The warrior will be blind for 12 game turns, which equates to 2 hours and all the while, any attacks he makes will be subject to a minus four penalty. Meanwhile, the snake man decides to give himself a protective advantage. He grabs the woman again, pulling her to be a human shield. I'm going to rule that this will confer a plus two to his armor class, but impose a minus two penalty when attacking, given his weapon is two-handed. The acolyte attacking Beric lashes out, needing a nat 20. But with a five, he scrapes impotently once again at the warrior's shield. Lena's enemy attacks, needing a 17 or more. A 3. The cloak easily blocks the incoming blow. The acolyte on Canute tries to strike. But a 10 means he cannot get past the Skarnay's defences. The other acolytes gather around their leader. Now for the party's actions. Kier knocks an arrow and aims at the leader. With his dexterity bonus, the rogue will need a 9 or more. A 9! Arrow thuds into the cloak's leg for four points of damage. Talion attempts a close range shot at the acolyte fighting Lena. A 13 is a hit for three points of damage. The bard's arrow tears open the side of the man's face. Blood and several teeth go flying as his jaw is ruined. Even blind, Beric is still a formidable fighter. His hearing takes over as his main sense, and he thrusts his sword from behind his shield penalties and bonuses taken into account. He needs a 10 or more to hit. A 15 for... 8 points of damage. 
The warrior's sword slides into the man's gut. He twists the blade, and blood bubbles at the man's mouth. He makes a strangled, mewing sound before Beric pushes him off the blade with his shield. Lena pushes her enemy with her shield, then opens for an attack. A 17 is a hit for... Six points of damage. The cleric brings her warhammer down on the man's head. There is a wet, crunching sound as the man's skull is caved in, and he falls like a rag doll. Knut, his face and hair splattered with the blood of his previous kill, strikes forward at his new foe. That 20! That's two in a row. Knut is on fire. No need to roll damage. The Skane hacks down at the man's head, splitting it in two. Blood and bits of brain splatter all over the warrior. He roars, possessed with a battle fury that can only be sated with the blood of his enemies. Seeing the tide turn in their favour, the party move into the hall, break their shield wall and take the fight to the enemy. The party will no longer benefit from the plus one to armour class from the defensive position. In addition, as they move forward, Beric comes in range of the idol's mindsight power. A mental picture forms in his mind, and whilst in range, he will no longer suffer a minus four to attack. Round three. Initiative. The enemy. A six. The party. A four. There'll be no morale check. These acolytes are fanatics and will fight to the death. Seeing the battle turn against them, the leader howls in fury. Kill the infidels. Unable to contain his rage, and seeing that she is a cleric of the nine, he charges to attack Lena. He will need to roll a 16 or more to hit. A five. Lena easily parries with her shield. One of the acolytes follows suit and attacks the cleric. A 16 is a hit for... One point of damage. His sickle catches Lena on the thigh as she defends against the leader's attack. Another acolyte runs forward, this time to attack Beric. He'll need a 15 or more. But a 2 means the warrior easily turns the blade aside with his shield. The final acolyte charges Knut. He also needs a 15 or more. A 17 for... Five points of damage. Knut has eyes on the Serpentine and is distracted as the Acolyte attacks. The sickle point digs deep into the Skarnay's shoulder, breaking open the links of his mail shirt. But Knut hardly feels the wound, such as his battle rage. Realising Beric is the leader of the group, the Serpentine moves to attack. The creature hefts its two-handed sword, pushing the woman before it as a human shield. At the last second, it throws her towards Beric, before swinging its massive sword. I'm going to award a plus two to hit, as Beric's ability to manoeuvre is compromised by the woman. As a result, the Serpentine will need a nine or more to hit. An eight. That was close. But I'm going to say that there is a three in six chance that the Serpentine hits the woman instead. Rolling a d6. A five. Beric pushes the woman aside just at the last minute. Now it's the party's turn. Kia knocks another arrow, targeting the Acolyte leader. But a three means the rogue cannot get a clear shot. Talion targets the Acolyte, attacking Knut. A 15 is a hit for... One point of damage, as the arrow rips off part of the man's right ear. Phelan, seeing Beric under pressure, attempts to cast Push against the Serpentine. He needs a 16 or less for his casting roll. A 16 is on the wire, but it's good enough. The Serpentine champion is pushed back. Five yards. There is a three and six chance that the creature will be not prone. If it is, it will lose its next action. Rolling a d6. A five. The Serpentine manages to stay on its feet. 
Beric charges forward to press the attack. With his bonuses, the warrior needs a 10 or more to hit. A 10 for one point of damage as his blade nicks the creature on the arm. Lena attempts to strike her enemy. And at one, that's a fumble. As the cleric swings her warhammer, the acolyte catches it below the head with his sickle. He pulls sharply. Lena loses grip on the shaft and the warhammer clatters to the floor. The cleric will miss her next turn. Seeing Lena disarmed, Canute disengages from his adversary and rushes to the cleric's aid, shouting a battle cry. A 16 is a hit for five points of damage. Canute slashes the upright across the chest. Ribbons of blood spray from the wound. The man staggers back, realizing that death is only moments away. Bjorn steps up and thrusts his spear at the acolyte that attacked his lord. An 11 is a hit for six points of damage. Bjorn plunges the spear into the man's stomach. The force of the blow sends the spearhead right through his body. The man grips the shaft as blood spews from his mouth. Bjorn kicks the man from the spear and spits at the corpse. Arn engages the other remaining acolyte. An 11 is a hit for five points. Arn stabs his spear at the man's hip. The spearhead scrapes against bone, cutting an artery in the process. The man screams in pain, reeling backwards, but somehow stays on his feet despite the blood gushing from the wound. Round four. To recap, the Serpentine Champion has 19 hit points remaining. The Acolyte Leader has 11 hit points remaining. And the other two Acolytes only have a single hit point remaining. Initiative. The enemy. A two. The party. A six. Kia switches target to the Serpentine Champion. He loses an arrow. But with a four, the arrow instead hits a nearby statue. Talion tries to get a clear shot on the Acolyte Leader. 15 is a hit for four points of damage as the arrow tears a hole in the dark cleric's hand. Ah! Beric continues to attack the Serpentine Champion. But with a nine, the creature manages to parry the incoming blade. Lena misses her action as she scrambles to recover her weapon. Canute, meanwhile, looks to dispatch the wounded acolyte. He needs just an eight or more to hit. An eight. No need to roll damage. The Skarnay warrior kicks the man over and plunges the sword into his chest. Bjorn moves to support Beric against the Serpentine Champion. A 16 is a hit for... One point of damage as his spear cuts the creature's thigh. Arn faces the final acolyte. He also hits with a 16. No need to roll damage. The Skarnay feigns and as the man's defences open, Arn takes him with his spear in the throat. The man drops in a pool of blood. Round 5. Initiative. The enemy. A two. The party. A six. With victory in sight, the party press the advantage, though the danger is not over. Kier knocks another arrow and shoots at the Serpentine. A three. The rogue's arrow flies wide of the mark. Talion likewise targets the Serpentine. He needs a ten or more to hit. A fourteen. Four. Five points of damage. The arrow thumps into the creature's left shoulder. It hisses in pain and fury. Beric, once again, tries to find an opening against the Serpentine. But a five means the creature parries the warrior's blade. Lena, meanwhile, seeks to strike the Dark Cleric. A 14 is a hit for... Four points of damage. Lena brings her warhammer down on the man's shoulder. 
There is a crunching sound as the man's collarbone snaps under the force. He cries out. There's a look of desperation on his face as he realises the inevitable. Phelan tries to support Lena. A five means his jab comes up short as the man reels from Lena's assault. Canute joins Beric and Bjorn in their fight against the Serpentine. A 19 is a hit for... Four points of damage as his sword smashes the creature's chest. Bjorn also tries to strike the Serpentine. But a 12 means the creature knocks his spear aside. Arn, meanwhile, moves to join Lena and Vaynan against the Acolyte leader. A 12 is a hit for... Four points of damage. That's enough. Arn runs forward. The Dark Cleric turns to meet the Skane, but cannot defend against the oncoming charge. Arn's spear pierces the man's stomach. He vomits blood and bile before falling to the ground. Round 5. Only the Serpentine Champion still stands. Will this be the last round? As the Serpentine is wielding a two-handed weapon, it automatically loses the initiative. Beric swings his sword. A 16 is a hit for... Six points of damage! The warrior's blade slashes across the creature's midriff, opening a vicious cut. Lena tries to attack from the flank. A 15 is a hit for... One point as her warhammer scuffs the creature's head. The Serpentine Champion has just two hit points remaining. Can Canute deliver the killing blow? A 12 is a hit for... Eight points of damage. Filled with battle rage, Canute swings his blade, striking the creature in the neck. The force of the blow decapitates the head, which flies off as blood erupts from the stump. Canute howls in victorious rage. He looks down at the creature's corpse and spits. Still breathing hard, he turns to the others. For your... Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you like what you've heard, then please do consider giving it a positive review in your podcatcher of choice. Once again, I need to shout out to my fantastic cast of voices. Returning as the leader of the Blind Acolytes is Russ, aka YumDM. Russ is a writer, publisher, blogger, and podcaster whose D&D zine, D12 Monthly, is a spiritual successor to Dragon Magazine. And the best part is that the PDF download is 100% free. Go to www.yumdm.com to find out more. Also returning in the role of Canute is John Cohen, the maestro behind Tale of the Manticore. Thank you both. As ever, I'm very grateful. I'll put their various links in the show notes. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements, or by recommending the show online or to a friend. You really can't beat the power of word of mouth. Alternatively, if you would like to show your appreciation by buying me a metaphorical cup of tea, then I now have a Kofi page at ko-fi.com forward slash legend of the bones. Any donations will go towards the show's running costs. I'd also love to know what you think of the show, and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Mastodon at LegendBones, at ttrpg-hangout.social, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at LegendOfTheBones at gmail.com, or go to LegendOfTheBones.blogspot.com for show notes, house rules, character profiles, art, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate.
none shall escape the destiny of bone. A boy is dragged into the dark. He does not understand the full extent of why this is. He does not understand yet that he is chosen. But he will. But this, this is not that story. Stories are like their protagonists. They come and they go, and they are interchangeable, mostly. You have been waiting in the dark. It is a metaphorical dark, unlike the one that came before you. And yet you have been walking in your dark for so long that when the light comes, you are sure it will break you. It sears your eyes and burns your skin and your very bones feel bleached and torn out under a microscope. And yet, it is only the first of many suns, and each will burn brighter than the last. You think, in the end, you might have preferred the darkness after all. The Attic Monologues is a queer urban fantasy horror podcast featuring meta-narratives, friends to lovers, mental health exploration, and far too many sentient trees. Season 2 launches August 30th. Catch up on Season 1 today.